The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. A happy Mother's Day. To all of you that are here, all of you ladies that are here, I should say, it is a um, it is a crying shame what the world has done, what the secular agenda of the feminist movement has done for you ladies. Uh, the world asks the question, which is better, a teacup or a sledgehammer, and uh, and that's a dumb question, <laughs> and the reason it's a dumb question is because the answer is neither. If you need to smash brick, you need a sledgehammer. But if you're intending to sip tea, it'd be very difficult to do that with a sledgehammer, amen? You need a teacup to sip tea. The movement of our day has tried to get the teacup to to smash brick and has tried to get the sledgehammer to sip tea out of. And it just doesn't work. God made men and women different, and it's still a good thing. And I'm thankful for all of you ladies and the biblical role that you fulfill that no man on the face of the planet could ever fulfill in your friendships, in your homes, for your children. It is a specific and a sweet role. Happy Mother's Day to all of the godly ladies at New Covenant Community Church. Love you all so very much. If you would please take your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Now this little book is near the end of your Bibles. In fact, it's easier to find if you go backwards from the book of Revelation. You'll go past Jude, 3 John, 2 John, and then you'll come to the book of 1 John. And when you are there, you'll be in chapter 4. You can find your way there. And we'll be right in the mix of where we'll be. We'll be going back soon to finish the book of Jonah, but this week we will be in 1 John, dealing with a topic that I am excited to preach to you on this Mother's Day. Let's go to the Lord and ask His Holy Spirit to help us in His Word. Father, we believe Your Word to be true, perfect, and complete, and totally trustworthy for everything that we need for this life. We love you for it, Lord. We're thankful that you have been found faithful, that you never fail us, and that you have been found to be a good shepherd. Help us in these moments as we open your word to see that you are championed and to know the true realities of who you are that you have told us in your word. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we do pray. Amen and amen. A breed of dog that my family had growing up was a dog called the Australian Cattle Dog. If you've seen these animals before, you'll also know that they're known as healers. They're a herding type of dog. And whereas Australian Shepherds will sometimes herd animals from the standpoint of the shoulder of the animal, this Australian Cattle Dog is sometimes called a healer because they will herd animals by going in and actually nipping on the heels of an animal, which is why they are called the healer or the Australian Cattle Dog. Now this dog is very special in that it has ingrained in its nature a desire, an urge, a know-how of herding livestock. 
it, it has this over, like more so than a golden retriever with a ball. They have just this so strong ingrained in their nature to herd animals and to herd them properly. Uh, so much so that it can sometimes even get them in trouble. If anyone ha that has owned a dog like this, you'll know, and I've seen this happen numerous times, where you will see one of these Australian cattle dogs and they will be herding a cow or a horse and they'll make one wrong move. And one wrong move means they won't duck underneath the animal when the animal goes to kick them. And I have seen an Australian cattle dog make the wrong move and the animal will reach out to strike this animal with its hind hoof. Boom! And it'll hit this dog square in the forehead. And this dog will yelp. It'll land in a heap behind the livestock animal. And you think to yourself, this dog's a goner. I should just go dig the hole now. And no sooner than you go to get the shovel to bury this poor animal does this dog wake up, shake itself off, and continue chasing after that same animal. It is ingrained in its nature. It is so ingrained in its nature, it's as ingrained as the color of skin that you have this morning, unless, of course, you're Michael Jackson, and then you can change that. But <laughs> It is ingrained in its nature. Now, the textbook herding, the picture-perfect herding of livestock does not define or determine what the Australian cattle dog should do or how it ought to herd animals. And the reason being is because it's just that good. Rather, the Australian cattle dog defines what the proper herding of livestock is to look like. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and in verse 16, we learn something of God's ingrained nature. Something that is so part of him, it cannot be separated from him. It is the essence of who he is. And these two particular verses, verse 8 and verse 16, it tells us something of God that doesn't tell us this anywhere else in Scripture. It tells us explicitly that God is love. Say those three words with me. Ready, set, go. God is love. And in the same way, the very same way that the proper herding of livestock does not define what the Australian cattle dog should do, but rather the Australian cattle dog defines what proper herding of livestock is. In the same way, love does not define God, but rather God defines love. And you'll see what I mean by that in just a moment. But the question on the table for us this morning then is, if God is love, which he is, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for what we understand of God and how we walk, what we know about him and this love that he is? If you look in 1 John chapter 4, look to verse 7, if you would. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let me just put the car in park right there for just a brief moment. Christians are called to love one another. So take a look around the room, literally look around the room, and look at the believers around you and know that you are called to love them. We're also called to love our enemies, but specifically speaking of believers this morning, we are called to love one another. The tall ones, the short ones, the fat ones, the skinny ones, the ones that like the things you like, the ones that don't like the things that you like. We are called to love one another as believers. There's so much importance to this. If there's someone in the room today that you don't have good unity and love with, 
it's worth it's worth making that right but you might say to yourself pastor Ben, why is it why is it that believers are called to love one another in this kind of way look on if you will in that verse that we just stopped in for love is of god and everyone who loves is born of god and knows god he who does not know god he who does not love God, excuse me, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now it's common as you read your Bibles, and this was common in the ancient world, that people would begin in their writings, they would begin with the conclusion, and then they would give the explanation. That's different from how you and I talk. It's different from how uh, we write in today's world. We give the explanation and then we come up with the crescendo of the conclusion that we're making, whether it's in speech or in writing. But that was not common in biblical times. They began with the end in mind. And we see this here. It, it, It begins with this love one another. So if we could reverse all of this, to put it in the kind of thinking that we think in America today, you could say, okay, so we know that God is love. Here's our explanation, and then we'll end with the conclusion. God is love, and if you don't know God, you won't be loving because God is love. And if you do know God, you will be loving because God is love. Therefore, since, since you know God, you'll be loving and you ought to love one another. So that's the order in which we would find it. But we could still go back to our original question of what does that mean for Christians? Here's our first point this morning that would allow us to put it another way. Because God is love, our love for one another is an indicator of knowing God. Because God is love, our love for one another is an indicator of knowing God. To know God is to know love. And to know love is to love one another. If you were to take a thermometer and place it outside your home, just outside the window so that you could see it from inside your house, you notice that the level of that stuff, I know it used to be mercury, and mercury kills everything, so we don't use mercury anymore. It's some other material that they use in that, those things. But you would see the thermometer going up and down based on its environment. It would react to what was going on around it, much in the same way that when a Christian is in the environment of knowing God's love, knowing that God is love, knowing this God who is literally himself, the essence, he is himself, love. When you know that, when you experience that, when you walk with that God, when you walk with that love, the natural response will be to react to the environment around you and to be a loving person. Now, Jesus affirmed this teaching. In fact, where you're at in there in 1 John, I want you to write down in the margin of your Bible, John 13, verse 35. John 13, verse 35. Because in John 13, verse 35, Jesus affirms this teaching when he said, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. By this, Jesus says, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When people come to New Covenant Community Church, they should not predominantly remember the preaching as the thing that sticks in their minds. When people come to New Covenant Community Church, it should not predominantly be 
we're the pole barn church in the middle of the cornfield. It should not predominantly be the singing and the worship that people remember. When people come to New Covenant for the very first time and they get back in their cars to go home, the thing, the absolute thing that should be in their minds is those people have sincere and true love for one another. Certainly they have been changed by an almighty God. No way can people love one another like that unless they've been changed. You see the rotten, cruddy people in the world that are mean and nasty to each other. But at New Covenant Community Church, there is grace and love in that house for those people. They've met something powerful. They've met something amazing. Which is why one of our key fundamental pillars of our mission, if you will, is to produce disciples marked by love and loyalty. Let me put it another way to hopefully let this sink into our hearts and our minds this morning of this principle. If you had a friend who worked at a cologne store and they were selling, it was their job to sell perfume and cologne. And you always noticed that on their clothing was this wonderful fragrance, that, they, that it was the environment they were in and just natu naturally their clothes always smelled like this cologne store not in that like give you a headache knock you over kind of smell that you get in the mall but like a good fragrance a light fragrance of all these different types of good smelling things that were on the clothes of this friend that you had and let's say this friend that you have that works at such cologne store introduces you to a co-worker of theirs but you notice something peculiar about this friend that your friend that you know works at this cologne store that always has this fragrance on their clothes you notice something peculiar about their co-worker you notice that their clothes don't smell like cologne. You would rightly think one of two things to yourself. You would think either A, they don't actually work at the cologne store, or B, they're not there very much. They don't work many hours. Dear friends, this morning, in the same way, if you were to come across a loveless Christian, a Christian who is not loving, you could rightly assume one of two things about them. Either they don't actually work at the cologne store, they don't actually know this God that is love himself, or you could say to yourself that they're probably not working at the cologne store very many hours. They're probably not at church very often, but once a month. They're probably not around many other Christians throughout the week. You could rightly assume one of those two things. Because God is love, our love for one another is an indicator of knowing God. If you're still with me, say yes. Look, if you will, now in verse 9, where God's Word says to us, it says, in this, look to your neighbor and say, in this, in this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Verse 10, in this, look to your other neighbor and say, in this, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now this word manifest or manifestation or to manifest, it simply means to display the true nature of something. For the true nature of what is there to be put on display. When the Australian cattle dog sees the herd of cattle walking by and they're shaking because they want so bad for the owner to unclip the leash so they can go to the work and start herding this, this herd of cattle. 
It is manifesting that what's already inside, the ingrained nature of what this puppy dog is, is showing forth. It's manifesting its true ingrained nature. You think of an apple tree. This time of year, they're blooming, and those blooms will turn into apples. And as the temperature warms up and the ground is moistened by the spring rains, which we're experiencing plenty of right now, it will begin to to blossom forth. It will begin to manifest the true ingrained nature of what's already there. When God manifested His love towards us, when God who is love, when that love When that love manifests itself and bore fruit, it predominantly did it in two ways that it tells us after each in this that we just read. Number one, there in verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. So number one would be that Jesus coming into the world. That is the way in which this God who is love, when that love for us manifests itself, it manifested in this Jesus the Son of God, to step down from heaven. That is one of the ways in which this love manifests itself. That's the first in this, the manifest of God, the love of God was manifest. The second thing it did, we see there in verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the second sub-point here would be that Jesus being the propitiation for our sins is the second way in which this love that God is manifests itself towards us. And it produces this man named Jesus, who's the Son of God. It also produced him with the mission that he had to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the one that would take our place. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So our second point this morning that I hope you're taking notes on. Because God is love, we now have a perfect and unchanging picture of it. Because God is love, not your feelings, not your emotions, Not what the government's doing, not what anyone else says. Because God is actually himself love, we now have a perfect and unchanging picture of it. And if you haven't caught on and you're a little slow like the pastor is, Jesus is that perfect and unchanging picture of what we know love is. I like country music, or at least most country music. Maybe not most, maybe like 5% of country music. But I like some country music songs. And even of the ones I don't like and the ones that I do like, they all sing about this topic of love. And they try to describe what love is. People go searching for love in novels that hopefully none of us read. And, and, and love is this thing that people try to define and understand and see what it is. But the answer for the Christian, for you and I, Ought not to have this big question mark with love and listening to these country music songs and say to ourselves, this must be what love is. No, love is not a thing to know what it is. It is a person to know. We know what love is because we know who love is. It's not what love is, it's who love is. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, if you're slow like I am, here's where our biblical interpretation has brought us so far. 
You can figure out what love is by seeing who God is. Okay, if you got that, say yes. You can figure out who God is by seeing his word. Hopefully that is clear. And here's some good news for us, is that both God and his word are unchanging, as we've already said, that we have this perfect and unchanging picture of love. We know that God and his word are unchanging. This is promised all throughout scripture. Let me give you a few references. I'll read them to you, but you can jot down the references to look back on later. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If you're thankful for that, say amen. James 1, 17, we talk about in Jesus, it says that in him there is no variation or shadow of turning. I like those kinds of verses given the world in which we find ourselves. Because God is love, we now have a perfect and unchanging picture of it. Here's the problem. And just to let you know, pastors don't just come up with problems so there's a problem to solve in the pulpit. Like, this is a problem, and hopefully you see that. At least it's a problem for me. Maybe you're perfect, and if you are, you should just get out of here. But that's, you hear what I'm saying. Here's our problem. Our way of determining what love is, or who love is even, or our understanding of love is imperfect, and it is also changing. And the reason is because we get like and love jumbled up and confused all the time here's what i mean by that you'll hear people say and perhaps you've said these things like i have you'll say things like i love chocolate cake or i love the shoes that i'm wearing or i love the car that i drive or i love my job in reality we like these things These things make us feel good. We like them. But they're not perfect, and they change very frequently. So you see the understanding of someone's, if someone's painting this picture of what love is in their mind by the things that they like, it'll be a screwed up, messed up understanding of what love is, or rather, who love is. Those are things that we like. Love is the very person of Jesus Christ. So, Knowing that God is love, and to know what love is, we must know who God is. We can then ask the question, who is God? What is is He like? Because if we know what God is like, we'll know what love is like. Which is, I have found this week, is very different than what most people think. Dear friends, love is like the guiding hand in the wilderness that chose to lead the Israelites and correcting them when they needed corrected. Just like a father disciplines a child. Love is like the protecting force that chose to keep the faithful servants, the faithful believing servants in the Old Testament safe from harm. Daniel and Noah and David and Jehoshaphat and on and on the list goes. That's what love is. That's what love looks like. It's like a father who chose to run to the prodigal son. When the son decided to leave the pig pen of worldliness. It's like a man with great power and influence. Who chose to kneel down after girding himself with a towel to wash the feet of his followers. It's like a savior who owed humanity nothing church. Yet chose to die the punishment that we deserve so that all who would repent and believe. Would be saved from their own rebellion. Because God is love. 
We now have a perfect and unchanging picture of it. And that person is Jesus. If you're following me along, say yes. So our definitions, liking is something that we like because it makes us feel a certain way. Love, we know what it is and how it is and how it functions and what it's like because of the very person of Almighty God Himself because God is love. Now, when you and I submit to this biblical authority, when we see this as true, we see this in God's Word that God is love, it requires us to relinquish something. It requires us to slaughter a golden calf in our lives. It requires us to forsake something. And the thing that it calls us to forsake is our ability to come up with our own definition of love. The world is saying some interesting things about love today. The world is saying things like, well, if God is love, how could God send people to hell? And what they're doing is they're they're applying their own understanding of what love is and saying that that is what love is and therefore God must be prohibited by those things that they think. And that is not the case. Jesus is the perfect and unchanging picture of love. So if you see God doing it, then you can say rightfully that it's loving. So, so it's not crazy, church. Hear what I'm saying this morning. It's not crazy when you hear people say things, which you will. You will hear people say, that if God is loving, how could he allow coronavirus and, and all these things and politically and whatever? If God is love, how could... It's like, wait a second. God is love. When God chose to drown all of those Egyptian soldiers, Pharaoh's army that was following in the Red Sea after the Israelites, and they all drowned... That was love because it was an act of God and God is love. It was love for God to protect his children like that. God dealt sternly with the Israelites in the wilderness. But that is love because only whom the Father loves does he correct. That is love. It's love that God has this salvation, this bridge that he's made between sinful man and almighty God. That bridge that God has made. And that he doesn't just throw out this free salvation like the government does stimulus checks like like there's a process that god has made and it's through the cross and only through the cross that we might know him when we repent and turn and trust in him and in him alone that is his way and that is love that you and i could stand as believers in this special salvation not one that god just throws out to everyone but we've come to him his way and it's special and it's perfect and it's right God is love. And because of that, we now have a perfect and unchanging picture of it. Let me explain something that I know the world struggles a lot with, of this whole idea of God. How could God love everyone, yet still people be damned for eternity? How, how does that all fit together? Um, I love all the kids here. I mean, I really do. And, and I'm biased, but I, I think New Covenant Community Church has like the cutest kids everywhere. I'm definitely biased with my own two kids, but like there's a lot of cute kids in here. Like even if I didn't have any children, it's like, man, there are some cute kids around here. I don't know what's going on, but cute kids. It's like, man, if you're a young person getting ready to get married and have kids and whatnot, you better be here so that your kids are cute for anything else. But <laughs> I love kids. I mean, I, I would take a bullet for any one of the kids here, but there are only two children on the face of this planet that are in my will that are in my last will and testament. 
there are only two children that are heirs of everything that I own. There's only two. I, I love them all, but there's only two that are in my plan. There's only two of them, and if you haven't figured out, their names are Daisy and Gabriel. There's only two that, that are part of the program. They're part of this thing that I've set up to, to care for them, that they would inherit all that I own. There's only two that are my children. And because they're my children, they're also in my will, meaning they will inherit everything that I own. Which may not be much, but whatever. That's, you get the point. That's, God loves everyone. He does. He does love everyone, but not everyone is his child. Not everyone is in his will. Not everyone is in his plan. Not everyone is of this salvation. And we see this teaching affirmed. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, but as many as received him, church, to them, say to them with me, ready, set, go, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. So just as an exercise for all the believers in the room this morning, this is not at all a, an extrapolation from Scripture that isn't true. You could look at that verse that says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. You can rightfully and truly, if you know Jesus, I mean, if you truly are converted and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are washed, you can rightly look at that verse and say, to me, to me, he gave the right to become a child of God because I believe in his name. This is his plan, dear friends, this morning. We have a perfect and unchanging picture of this great love that Jesus is. Love is not something added on to God so we have a clear picture of what God is. Love is something that he is so that we see love in its fullness. If you're still with me, say yes. Verse 11, which essentially summarizes all that we've gone through so far, summarizes it in a beautiful way, and only the way that the Spirit of God can. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, he also, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So a question that I believe with all my heart, that God would have every single person, both on the live stream sitting at home and, and all of you that are here this very moment, a question that he would have all of us answer is have you known and believed the love that God has for you. Because if, you, if you're not a believer, I just want to tell you, God loves you. He loves you. And you say, Pastor Ben, did God love like Hitler? Yes, he did. 
that, that, that's where his ways higher than our way starts to kick in because like I, I don't understand how sometimes I don't even understand how God could love me but but God loves you dear friend that does not know Jesus he loves you he loves you and to be in his will you don't need to just be a child a, a person like everyone else you need to be his child you need to be in the will. You need to be in his program. That's how you become a recipient of all that he has, of all of his perfection that he had on earth. That's how you become his child, is through the cross, through repentance and belief. Have you known and believed the love that God has for you? If you don't know Jesus this morning, I certainly hope that you would consider this and consider it seriously. But also to you believers, those of us that know Jesus, truly and honestly know Jesus, have you known and believed the love that God has for you? And I recognize as I sit here trying to preach this to you that I'm trying to convince you of something that is hard for me sometimes to convince myself of, that God loves me, that God loves you. How many times I wonder for myself and anyone else sitting in this room, have we been that when that prodigal son, you all know that story, hopefully we all know that story well, the prodigal son, and, and he decides, he repents, he decides to leave the pig pen, he's going home, the father runs to him, and what does the son say? The son says, Father, I've sinned against you, just make me low, make me like one of your hired servants, and the father's sitting there, you're my child. I'm not putting you in this low place because you've been in this certain place and you've committed this sin. I, you're my child. I want to wrap you up in my arms. I want to put this cloak on you. I want to put a ring on your finger. I want to throw this big part for you. I want, I want to lift you up to this place. And I wonder how many times I've been that prodigal somewhere. I'm just saying, you know, God, it, it would be right for you to put me in this low place. And sometimes I wonder myself, if I have known and believed, really believed, the love that God has for me so believer person who knows jesus whose sins are washed be reminded this morning god loves you believe and know the love that god has for you if you are a righteous struggler and there's sins in your life that you are you're burdened about you it's it's these don't mean anything for you in eternity god has cast these as far as the east is from the west from you and and you're washed and cleaned and redeemed and and you're just like that prodigal son who wants to be made like one of the lowly servants. And, and I'm just telling you this morning that what a good God we serve. That would I mean, he had every right to put that boy on the, on the payroll with one of those lowly servants. He had every right to do that. But because our God is love, it's not something that he feels like we like certain things. It's because he is love. He picks up this boy. He puts a robe on his shoulders. He puts a ring on his hand. He slaughters the fattened calf. He throws this party and he restores him. So dear child of God, be restored this morning. Be restored and reminded that God is love and that he loves you. Believe and know the love that God has for you. Because God is love, our love for one another is an indicator of knowing God. Because God is love, we now have a perfect and unchanging picture of it. And that picture is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Would you stand as we pray together and come to the music? Jesus, thank you for this love. It is not deserved. It is not earned. It is given freely. 
Remind us throughout the day, Lord. Remind us as we go throughout the weeks. Remind us as we go on living this life that when Your love for us manifested, when the ingrained nature of You being love manifested for us, it produced Your Son who is the Savior. It produced the Son who is the Savior and is the propitiation for our sins. Thank You, Jesus. We love You for it. We are moved to worship because of these biblical truths that we know to be true. Because you are love. In Jesus' name, and all the church says, 